Warning, me time and murder is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Go to the me time and murder YouTube channel. Go to the me time and murder YouTube, YouTube, YouTube. Go to the me time and murder YouTube channel where you can watch me tell today's episode in front of a green screen. And we have got pictures and videos. See you there. I winked. Okay, Marion, what are you drinking? Well, Miriam, today I'm drinking some turmeric tea. Mm. And for me time, yeah, I am going to take these things out of my hair. <gasps> Have I had them in for a week? No, of course not. No, I heard you asking, why didn't I take them out in the last episode? Well, because they weren't in for long enough and I didn't want to have like these limp ringlets. So they've been in for about an hour now. So I'm going to first do my nails and then take them out. And of course, welcome to part two of this Patreon requested episode. Thank you, Francesca. And I wanted to say, I looked for your Kenko coffee that you said that you like to treat yourself to. I think it was salted caramel, right? I could not find it anywhere. I checked Tesco, Asda, B&M, like everywhere, everywhere. Even like my local shops, couldn't find it. So apologies. If I do find it, Francesca, I will drink it at some point. I got my eyes peeled. Poke myself in the eye there. So with today's episode, we are still mostly in the Southwest London area. You want a map? Sure. Wow. It's so informative. So last episode, I covered the awful and brutal cases of Millie Dowler, Marsha MacDonald, Kate Sheedy, and Amelie de la Grange. And it was the attempted murder of Kate Sheedy. Fortunately, she survived. So when we last left off, the Twickenham police were in a desperate hunt to find the person responsible for attacking and murdering women. At the end, we had just found out the police got a break in the case when Joe Collins informed them that her ex-partner had a serious hatred of blonde women and drove a little white van for his wheel camp camping for his wheel clamping business. This is Levi Belfield. So who is Levi Belfield, you ask? Levi Belfield was born in Islesworth, London on the 17th of May 1968 to Jean and Joseph Rabbits, who were of Romany Gypsy descent. Levi had two brothers and two sisters and the family were very close-knit. Unfortunately, their father died of leukemia in 1978, when Levi was only 10. As a result, Levi developed a very close bond with his mother. In early years, Levi thought that he was very special, a view encouraged by his mother. The family grew up in a large West London council estate, which was at the time like a large community of travellers. At school, Levi was a bit of a tearaway, and a troublemaker, but nothing out of the ordinary. It didn't seem like he was like beating up kids. Or it didn't seem like he had violence. 
Of course, like he could have. It just wasn't reported. When Levi was only 13, he landed his first serious criminal conviction for burglary. And yeah, like that is like, that is sort of like the, uh, what's it called? The breakthrough? That is like the gateway crime for other crimes, right? If you can take something that doesn't belong to you, although we've all done that. I used to steal Pepsi Max when I was like 11. <laughs> I wanted to be like one of the Spice Girls. <laughs> As Levi became a young man, he realized that he had a way with the ladies. Uh, oh my gosh. Now, you wouldn't call Levi attractive by conventional standards, especially when you compare him to, I don't know, like Captain America or Thor. But Levi was a very cheeky, charming chap who had nice cars and nice clothes. In 1989, at 21 years old, Levi set up home with his girlfriend and had four children with her. When he was 22, he was convicted of assaulting a police officer. And by 2002, Levi had fathered 11 children with five different women. Move over, Mick Philpott. Also by 2002, Levi had nine convictions, including theft and driving offences, and had spent nearly a year in prison serving time for these offences. Obviously, though, we're not at the level of violence yet. It was after this that another woman would fall for Levi's charms and would go on to have two children with him, his common, his common law wife, Joe Collins who we mentioned in the last episode. Joe worked very closely with the police in this case, in bringing them down. She also testified in the trial, which we will be covering later. Joe met Levi in her late teens. They drank at the same local pub. According to Joe, everyone knew Levi and loved him. Everybody wanted to be his friend. He was the fun. He was the banter. He was loud. Everybody wanted to be around him. He was a good time. But do we think Levi was a good boyfriend? Well, with his track record, where he obviously doesn't care about hurting other people's feelings, no. I mean, if you're willing to burgle somebody's house and steal their possessions and drive recklessly, endangering other people's lives, I mean, your number one concern is yourself. Working as a bouncer, Levi met lots of intoxicated women and girls. I did not think twice about cheating on his common-law wife and having extramarital affairs. As Levi got older and probably more grouchier, uh, more bitter probably is the best word, he acted entitled. He thought he was entitled to women. They were there for one purpose and that was to serve his needs. And when these women would not comply with his needs, that's when he would become violent. His ex-girlfriends would never report Levi for his violence because they were obviously scared of what he was going to do to them. For Joe, the abuse started six months into the relationship, escalating when she got pregnant. He would slap her, feed her, 
and watch her pee. He would also do nasty things like burn cigarettes into her and make her sleep naked on the floor. But Joe was tough and she was the only one who reported him to police. She marched down to the police station and had an injunction put on him. But within an hour of that junction being served to Levi, Levi tore up the injunction, put it in an envelope and posted it through Joe's door. On the envelope it said, now I'm going to kill you. From then on, Levi would stalk Joe, watching her and leaving her threatening messages. Joe thought to herself that she wouldn't be surprised if his violence and threatening and entitlement nature were to escalate. And she was right. Anyway, back to the case. It was the tip from Joe, Levi's ex, and the ownership of the little white van, this one, there he is, isn't he proud of his wee van, that led police to suspect Levi. Police researched Levi more and were able to link Levi to another vehicle. The white people carrier van, car, van car, this one, that had ran Kate Sheedy over. They had enough to bring Levi in for questioning. See, one of the many times Levi was arrested was in May 2004, when he was arrested for the kidnapping of a pub landlord. According to the pub landlord and Levi, the incident was just a prank gone wrong. No charges were brought, but that arrest still took place. And that abduction took place in the same white people carrier van that ran Kate Shady over. Levi Belfield was now the prime suspect. Why is this finger sitting up like that? Ah. At dawn on the 22nd of November 2004, police raided Levi's home and he was found. <laughs> he was found hiding in the attic, completely naked. Oh, oh, what a mess. There was more. The poor police. So apparently he was hiding in the attic because he didn't think that the police would find him. And it's just like, if they don't find you in the house and they know that you're in the house, why wouldn't they check the attic? Like, they're already in the house. Why wouldn't they go upstairs? Like, do you think they're scared of spiders? Like, why wouldn't they go up there? Well, they went up to the attic. Attic, attic, attic. They found him. They read him his rights. And they handcuffed him. Levi was held for questioning at the West London Police Station. Oh my gosh, the other hand. Levi was interrogated by police in relation to a long string of offences, ranging from rape to grievous bodily harm. Now, this uh, very chatty, loud, friendly pub-goer that everybody loved to be around, do you think he was talking? Hell no. He refused to answer any questions. And CCTV footage of the interrogation shows Levi with his arms folded, sniggering, and it sometimes turned his back to the police. Levi was held in custody for almost 16 months until he went to trial. Until the 2nd of March, 2006. 
when he was formally charged with the murder of Amelie de Lagrange and the attempted murder of Kate Sheedy and the murder of Marcia MacDonald. Levi's trial began at the Old Bailey on October 12th, 2007. He pleaded... What do you think he pleaded? Pled? What do you think he pleaded? Not guilty, of course. Levi's trial for the murders. Levi Belfield's trial was very long and drawn out because he refused to give any statements. So there was a lot of supposing from the lawyers. And Levi was... Although he, had a, although he had a squeaky voice, according to some, he was a big guy and he was quite imposing in the dock. Like he's quite like big and tall. You know, he was a bouncer. And he would act very nonchalant. And I think that possibly swayed some of the jurors from other verdicts that we're going to cover. But thankfully, the circumstantial evidence weighted heavily against him including the 20 or 30 sightings of his little white van on CCTV, circling the Twickenham Green Park area for 45 minutes before Amelie was murdered. Very coincidental that you were there. And okay, so it is actually coincidental, but the jury heard that after the murder of Amelie, Levi abruptly up and moved his family to Kent right after the murder. Similarly, he took his family on an impulsive vacation to Tenerife after the murder of Marcia. What you doing? It was argued that Levi got angry when he approached a woman and he felt rejected. What is that quote? It is such a good quote. Men fear that women will reject them and women fear that men will kill them. Is that it? You know it. It's such a good quote. Obviously, I don't know it, obviously. During the trial, jurors also heard testimony from two other surviving victims. Remember we talked about them in the first episode, in part one? We don't have time to go into their cases deeply. There is more information out there. Anna-Marie Rennie survived an abduction attempt by Levi Belfield when she was 17 years old. She was walking home alone at 8.30 at night. She was in Twickenham and she was walking by a bus stop. And Levi, for a while, was known as the bus stop killer. So anyway, she's at a bus stop when a car pulls up beside her. She turned around to see two men in the car, one driving and the other one leapt out. Levi. Levi allegedly grabbed Anna Marie by the arms and tried to shove her into this car. Anna Maria violently kicked and screamed and bit and shoved and she was able to break free and run home. When she got home she reported the incident immediately. She told her parents, told the cops. Can you imagine at 17? The second survivor, the second survivor of Levi Belfield is Irma Dragoshi, who does not appear to have like shared her image 
but safe to say she's probably the same as of the same safe to say she is probably the same profile as the other women and girls she's probably white with fair hair so Irma she survived a hammer attack when she was 36 years old Irma was walking along the street when she was hit over the head with a blunt instrument she was also assaulted while waiting at a bus stop the court was told that Levi got out of a nearby vehicle, ran over and attacked her with a blunt instrument. An associate of Levi actually corroborated this statement and said that he was in the car when it happened. Apparently, Levi said to him, watch this. He leapt out of the car with a hammer and struck Irma. Thankfully, Irma survived, but she was left with temporary amnesia. So, like, she doesn't remember all of the events but she knows she was hit in the head most likely with a hammer so in this case there was no hard evidence there was no cctv footage of levi committing the crime there was no dna there was no fingerprints there was no murder weapon there was no eyewitnesses plus levi did not admit to any of these charges so it was very circumstantial. And and hearsay, a lot of hearsay evidence. Are you going to believe his friend? What if his friend is not an upstanding citizen? But on February the 25th, 2008, Levi Belfield was found guilty of the murders of Amélie de Lagrange and Marcia MacDonald, as well as the attempted murder of Kate Sheedy. Unfortunately, the jury could not reach a verdict, could not reach a verdict on whether Levi was guilty of the other charges of assault on Anna Maria and Irma. So he wasn't charged with attempted abduction of Anna Maria and she uh, and he wasn't charged for the attempted or attempted attack on Irma. Which is ridiculous because there was people saying that he was there when he did the attack. But that is hearsay. Maybe the defence, maybe they said, well, how do you know it was Levi? It could have been this guy testifying. Maybe he was in the car. Maybe it was the other way around and he's trying to pin it on Levi. Maybe. It is very circumstantial. But I mean, unless the police are still trying to get this guy, like an accomplice. Hmm. Judge Mrs. Judy Rafferty sentenced Levi to a whole life tariff and he was immediately sent to prison where he will never be released. But Murr, what about Millie Dowler, who you spent the first five, ten minutes on in part one? And there's still lots of time left on this episode. Well, we're all coming full circle. The day Levi received his full life tariff sentence for the murders and attacks and attempted murders, Levi was named the chief suspect in the case that had shocked the nation and that had remained unsolved for nine years, the abduction and murder of Millie Dowler. The Dowler family's hopes had been raised and dashed for years. 
Male DNA was found on Millie's clothes in her bedroom, but was ruled out three months later. A prisoner, Paul Hughes, sent letters claiming that he had killed Millie and threatened to kill Millie's sister. He did not kill Millie, and thankfully he didn't kill Millie's sister. He was sentenced to jail for five years for writing these threatening letters. And the prison had to apologise to the Dowler family for not screening the prisoner letters better. Like, he was sending these from prison. He was a prisoner sending threatening letters to victims' family, like, for kicks, for shits and giggles, for shits and gigs. And there was another, a crazy lady repeatedly called Millie's parents, school and the police, pretending to be Millie. She was also jailed. She was jailed for five months. And then there was another guy, a, another crazy guy, who repeatedly emailed the Dowler family, friends and police officers, claiming that he knew Millie had been smuggled out of the country to work as a prostitute, his words, and a stripper and dancer at the nightclubs of Poland. He claimed that her alleged death was a cover-up. He too was sectioned indefinitely. So, back to Levi, Belfield. Nine long years after Amanda, known as Millie Dowler, was murdered on the 10th of May 2011, three years after his first trial, Levi was once again on the docks. Do you think he cooperated this time? Levi again refused to comment or give evidence even in his own defence and denied all charges. But also like last time, the trial had plenty of circumstantial evidence and he's already convicted so Levi was living a few hundred yards from the place where Millie had disappeared and in previous interviews held and recorded by the police Levi had stated that they did have access to his girlfriend's car a little red car and that he was out and about driving it on the day of Millie's disappearance. And wouldn't you know, that little red car was spotted on CCTV in the exact area where Millie had disappeared. It is thought, it is believed, it is. Levi Belfield driving this car. It was at his second trial that a different ex also testified against Levi, saying that on the day of Millie's disappearance, they were like together and he was acting really weird around that time. She testified in court that on the day of Millie's disappearance, Levi had left in the middle of the night. The next day, she noticed that the bedsheets were gone. When she questioned him, what's with the bedsheets, where'd they go? Levi told her that the pet terrier had shit on them. So he had to burn the bed sheets. Like, for a start, gross. Like, <laughs> it's, oh, like it's a lie, but also gross. But I guess, like, if your dog did, like, shit on your bed, 
you would burn it, right? Oh, well, depends on how hard or water. Hmm, depends what you feed your dog. Anyway, I'm off topic. There was also testimony from his friend that Levi paid him £15 to help him get rid of and burn a king-size mattress. What happened? Hmm? I think we can all tell where this is going. A day or so later, Levi told his partner and kids that they were going to move house. And they hadn't been planning on moving house for at least a month. Joe testified at the second trial again, submitting evidence that proved that Levi did know the Yately Woods area where Millie was found. Because like he was saying, why would I go there? I don't know Yately Woods. I wouldn't know where to go. I wouldn't even know that Yately Woods existed. Well, Joe had evidence. They went out pony tracking. They were out trotting on horses, riding horseback on horses in Yately Woods, proving that Levi did know the area. He knew exactly where Yately Woods was and how secluded it was. And finally, some more hearsay evidence when an ex-colleague told the jury that Levi had said to him that he killed Millie Dowler. But the colleague was like, oh, Levi, I thought he was talking shit. Never, I didn't believe it. And, you know, you do have people like that. Like, I've never had anybody admit murder to me. (laughs) But some people are real attention seekers and they will, they will spin yarns. But obviously, Levi was telling the truth. And just like the first trial, the jury found all of this circumstantial and secondhand information very compelling. On June the 23rd, 2011, the jury found Levi Belfield guilty of the murder of Millie Dowler. Judge Mr Justice Wilkie sentenced Levi to a whole life tariff, meaning that he is the only convicted killer in the UK to receive two life tariffs. So obvious so obviously, you know, it's sort it's not pointless, but it's sort of like he's meant to die in prison for his first conviction, serve again another life sentence. Um but obviously it's important for the justice for the families and the victims. And um and if for some weird loophole reason that one of the life tariffs is overturned he still has another one this is why it's important to always stack on as many like convictions as possible so there's like a mountain to get through should I check these out yeah it is time where's my mirror oh Oh. oh, it's okay. That was a thick one. That's what she said. Hmm. They have been bouncier. 
udah sabar. Bing. Oh, the thinner they are, the tighter the curls, obviously. Ah! What do we think? Do you like it? Okay, back to being serious. In 2016, it was reported that Levi Belfield had finally confessed to the murder of Millie Dowler, giving gruesome details of how he had abused and killed her. According to Levi, he snatched the 13-year-old off the street and took her back to his nearby flat where he raped her. He then took the child with him in the car, in the red car, to his mother's house. Yep. Where he raped her even more. He then moved Millie for a third time to a different location. I couldn't find out where, but he moved her again. Where he continued to rape and physically torture her. He then strangled her in the morning. And presumably left her in Yateley Woods. So again with Levi, so he confessed and he gave all these details. But then right after, he recanted it. He took it all back and he said he never killed her. He never even met Millie. Now police got this confession out of Levi when they were interrogating him about him having a potential accomplice right because there was other people there was probably other people driving the car when he was stopping at these bus stops and hitting women over the head with hammers there was somebody in the car when he tried to abduct Anna Maria and there was somebody else in the car when he hit Irma and to this day, police are still investigating and interviewing Levi in connection to other crimes. When he was convicted in 2011, the police stated to the media that they believed he could have been responsible for at least 20 other attacks on women. These are attacks that have never been solved and they fit his M.O., so hopefully one day they will solve these. Maybe it was Levi. They are also interviewing and interrogating him about the mysterious death and murder of his childhood girlfriend who was murdered when she was only 14, Patsy Morris, in 1980. Now that would be young if he did that. But... Maybe, maybe not. Levi is also suspected in the case of Judith Gold, a 51-year-old woman who was beaten to death with a blunt instrument. And there was going to be another trial where, where he was going to have to go to trial for the abduction of an 11-year-old girl. Very young. But unfortunately, the trial was cancelled because the media was publishing prejudicial information so like he couldn't have got a, f a fair trial I feel like people never focus on the fact that he's like also a pedophile like nowhere 
was that mentioned in any of the reports. It was just called, and girls. Like, an 11-year-old is a child. And I mean, like, Millie was 13. Even more recently, Levi was in the news because he apparently confessed to the to the Hammer murders, which is a well-known unsolved double homicide of a mother and daughter, Lynn and Megan Russell, committed 26 years ago. This case did see trial and it did see conviction of a drug addict. He was convicted, but he has always denied these charges. And the lawyer who is representing him said that he received a letter from Levi Belfield admitting to the murders of Lynn and Megan. Apparently, in the letter, he included things and undisclosed information and evidence about the trial, about the murder, that only the murderer would have known. So, maybe... Or is he just egotistical and looking to add numbers, like add notches to his bedpost? He could be. And most recently, but who really cares? He wants to get married. Levi is apparently engaged and wants to get married. Apparently it is within his uh, human rights to get married, but I don't really care if he gets married or not. And that is the end of part two, Deadly Attacks on Twickenham Women. Again, thank you to the lovely Francesca for requesting this brutal case, this brutal uh, story. I honestly didn't know, I did not know this story. And isn't it sad that in today's age, with how far we've come as a society, a global society, that women and girls are still not safe? Like we still have to look behind our shoulder. We still have to look over our shoulder. Was it yesterday or today? Um, a Instagram follower commented on a post saying, oh, you were talking about pepper spray in this episode and it's illegal in the UK and Ireland. And she commented saying you should just buy one of those mini hairsprays and keep that in your bag. So maybe, maybe I wonder if the stronger ones are better. Or maybe the cheaper ones are better. They'd be like full of toxic crap, right? So could carry those. You see, this is sad that this is what we are reduced to. Be careful, there's a lot of losers out there. Again, appreciation to the journalists, reporters and writers for whom I took my sources. If you have any ideas of what I should do for my next me time, I've done my hair, I've done my nails, what should I do next time? Let me know. Slan!